You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. What we're doing in this series, we're, we're going over prayer and worship specifically. These two are often found not just in Jesus' ministry, but throughout the, the Scriptures, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, so often highlighted for a believer to practice and operate in on a fundamental level, meaning that this should, these two, prayer and worship, should be things that we are so incredibly comfortable with, so incredibly uh, well-versed in understanding having a a deep and intimate relationship with the Lord through these two, able to operate these as a default for when we don't know what to do and when we do know what to do, we just settle into these places, the things that keep us calm, that keep us focused, keep us centered. Um, They should just be so pivotal uh, on a foundational level in our walk with the Lord. We see it in Jesus' ministry over and over and over again, how he would go to be with the Lord. He would go to pray. He would go to the temple to worship. He did this regularly, and he would do it without the disciples. It was his journey. It was his uh, relationship with the Lord. It wasn't anybody else's, and it wasn't dependent on anybody else. And so we look at this, and we see how fundamental these two things are, especially in the ministry of Jesus and Jesus' perfect theology. And so if you see it in Jesus' story, it's because you're meant to see it in your own story. Um, And then we wonder, why is it then that these are the two things that we as Christians are the most uncomfortable with? We're going to get into that a little bit in in the prayer conversation that we begin to have tonight. We're going to start with prayer and work through that because I believe it's important to understand a lot of aspects of prayer before you can begin to understand a lot of aspects of worship. Um, And so, and this could take us um, well into September, October. I'm not really sure. I know that there's a big sheet of of items that I want to discuss with these two topics and where they're concerned. And so when we get to it, we'll get to it. And how long it takes is how long it'll take. I just don't want to rush this because... This is so important for us in going forward as a house to understand these things. You'll hear a lot of these lessons, also not a lot of them, but we'll get to these lessons that are very pivotal and need to be known widely, not just for a smaller study, need to be known widely, and you'll hear those on a Sunday morning, um, some of those. So anyways, this is a big study. This is an exciting one for me. I'm I'm, I'm excited for my own personal journey in it and understanding these things having some different people teach on these topics and and what it's been for them and what they understand these topics of prayer and worship. Um, So it's going to be fun over the next uh, few months. But going into tonight, prayer, just uh, an intro to prayer and what I've found, and this has been profound for me. And now it may not be anything that is out of the ordinary, but it has been incredibly profound for me to look at it and re-examine something with new eyes Um, allowing the Lord to show me these things. So we're going to talk about two truths really quick. Truth, the first truth, this is a truth that is for everyone. God is their creator. Is there anybody here that would disagree that anyone that's ever been and ever will be, God is their creator? That is a truth that is for everyone. 
Colossians 1.16 says, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. So we know this to be truth. Not everybody believes that, but we know that that is truth, that all were created by God. He is their Creator. He is our Creator. And now the other truth. This truth is specifically just for those who are saved. Just for those who are saved. He is not only our Creator, but He is our Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. This is, a, this is an important uh, and really foundational truth to understand as we move forward. In Romans eight fourteen. this is a popular passage for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So, this clearly says when you're saved, you are a child of God. You are adopted and He is now your Father. He is your Heavenly Father. There's no disputing that. No one in here would disagree with that. That's kind of what we build our life around when we are Christians is that He has now brought me into this family that I was not a part of because of of sin, but because of the blood of Jesus that washes that sin away and me receiving that blood for myself to cover my own life. I am now brought in And I'm not just brought into the house. I'm made a son. I'm made an heir and a co-heir with Christ. We stand on that. The gospel is those verses that we just read. That is the gospel. And he is our heavenly father. So what is the difference? Or what difference does salvation make in these two categories? One is a truth for everyone that God is the creator. One is just a truth for those that are saved. He is the heavenly father. What is the difference between those two? Obviously, one group is saved, one group is not. But what is the main difference between those two identities? Because one, for one group, he is just creator. And for another group, he is creator and he is father. It's just a relationship. Exactly, exactly. The relationship. The change is in the relationship. So let's look. We'll be in Matthew 6. Let's look at the examples set by Jesus. First, his instruction as it comes to prayer. Matthew 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Now, this is not talking about praying out loud. That's not what it's getting at. Because I, Jay prays from the piano. I pray before sermons. I pray at the end of sermons. I'm praying in a crowd. But the motivation is not that you would see me holier because I began to pray. Right? Some people would get tripped up on that. And I've had this conversation before when asking someone to lead us in prayer. And not, not here in this, in this church, but... Uh, no, well, prayer is it, that's just for me and the Lord in secret. I'm like, nope, you missed that one, and you're just doing that so you don't have to do something that's uncomfortable, and that's that's not how the Lord works. So we're gonna do that anyways. But 
Anyways, just, just a side note. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The first thing emphasized by Jesus in this, the first thing that he begins to bring attention to, and if you just focus on the prayer, you'll miss it, because, you know, Kendall used to say this, and I've heard a lot of people say this, and it's not in this passage, but it, it highlights a bigger point. You know, if you're reading Scripture and you read the word therefore, what's the therefore, therefore, right? That's in... Yeah, yeah, you gotta you gotta read before, or if you read, but, and you gotta read what the but's there for, um, and if you read something as pivotal as the instruction of prayer, you should probably back up a couple verses, and read the build up to that prayer. We quote our Father that when Jesus taught us how to pray, He said, "Our Father." Jesus began teaching them how to pray before that prayer was started. And the verses that we just read. Because if you don't read the verses that we just read, you won't understand the Lord's Prayer that Jesus highlights. Because what is Jesus highlighting from verse 6 down until he starts the Lord's Prayer? I'll read that again. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. How deep and meaningful of a relationship can you have with someone if you never spend time one-on-one with that person? Right? And I don't I spend time with my wife one on one, just us, and I don't broadcast it. I don't live stream when we're laying in bed talking about our days or talking about the things we have to do tomorrow or talking about the things we're struggling with. That it's not broadcasted. It's done in secret. None of you know the conversation me and my wife had this morning before we got up to face our ferocious children. It was done in secret. It was not broadcasted. But in those places, that is where relationship, that's the trenches of relationship, right? That's where the real work is done for a relationship, is those one-on-one moments. So what's he highlighting in this? He's not saying that you need to be a secret prayer person, that no one can know when you're praying. You need to just vanish into the darkness and begin praying. That's not what he's talking about, because Jesus never did that either. He would tell his disciples where he was going. I'm going to be alone with my father. He would tell them. He broadcasted what he was going to do. He just went on his own to do it. It's the pursuit of relationship because those one-on-one moments, that's where relationships are built. Have you ever had this before where you know someone very well in a group setting? Could be one of your best friends in a group setting because it's just this group of people that always hang out. And, I mean, you love this person. You hang out with this person all the time as a group. But then when you hang out with that person one-on-one, it's like, I don't know you outside of that group. This is awkward. I don't even know how to have this conversation. I have several friends like that 
It's like they are my friends when these people are there. But if these people aren't there, it's just awkward. Right? That can't be our relationship with God. But that is so much of the church, is I have a deep and powerful relationship with the Lord when it's in a group setting. But get me on, the, on my own with God, I really don't know what to say. It's awkward. Because there is no real relationship there. There's no depth of relationship. A deep relationship can survive without others helping sustain it. Right? Right? Those that we, we don't, I don't depend on my best friend to help me have a strong marriage. The guy that stood up there with me as I said my vows is not pivotal in me being a good husband to my wife or having a deep relationship. They can be accountable and they can help, but if there's going to be depth, it's going to be because we pursue it with that person, right? All that to say. And then in verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need to pray before you ask. Pray then like this. What's he talking about there? Just be genuine. A deep, solid relationship will always, you will always found, find at the foundation of it, genuineness between the two people. Right? And that's how people can also get so connected so quickly is because they find a genuineness in one another that they recognize. Have you ever had that where you just met a person and you just clicked? You're like, yeah, oh yeah, me and this person, we're going to be. Genuineness was there. You connected with it. Right? We love that. We'll, we'll meet strangers and we'll go off. And the thing that we'll take away that is oftentimes our favorite thing about them, they're just real. They're genuine. I remember for a period of time, I was finding the most comfort because I was experiencing genuineness from these people. They were people that did not know the Lord. Because so many of the people I knew that knew the Lord were just not genuine. I just needed somebody that was authentic, right? And he's saying this in this instruction, be genuine with God as you would with any relationship. Don't hold anything back because he already knows what you need. He knows what's on your heart. He knows what you're thinking. You just don't say it out loud, right? How many times have we been thinking something in frustration with God and we backpedal a little bit and then we begin to pray in a more formal, I'm not going to be as genuine, but God, I'm mad at you right now or I'm just mad and I'm directing it at you and you're just going to take it right but oh holy art thou and we backpedal and we start putting on this Christianese terminology as we begin to talk to the Lord and there's no genuineness in that because he already knows what you're thinking he already knows the pain that you're carrying and you're just not getting it out of your system Right? You're not fleshing it out. You're not having a genuine conversation with the Lord. He's saying, be genuine in your relationship. Take time to pursue it one-on-one, that it would be a sustaining relationship because you and God have a relationship together. And then be genuine and pray like this. And then the first thing he says is, our Father. Again, another term speaking to the degree of relationship. And you have to also understand the group of men that he's talking to right here. Their fathers were held with such high esteem. They were those that were to mold them and shape them in the career that they would take. They were important, pivotal members of the family structure. They were those that they depended on, that they looked up to, that they, they, 
they were attached to them. They were living in their shadow. This day and age, I love that about the Chosen series is you see the relationship that some of these men had with their father and how important it was to them. And, and he uses that terminology again, pointing us to relationship. He is now our father. The fullness of prayer, the ease of prayer, the power of prayer, all reflective and because of a relationship. The, I mean, if, if you want we don't like to measure things, but if you want to know where a person is with, the, with their relationship with God, listen to him pray. And you'll know. Right? We have, we, I, I know many people, I've been like this, where I began to pray out loud, I was very timid. But I was very unsure about a lot of things that the Lord was still showing me. I just wasn't all the, I wasn't, I didn't know it all the way. Right? Like just when I started training people, when I had just gotten my personal training certification, I was not as confident as I was 10 years down the road because I had just started learning this information. Versus now I know this information I mean, it's memorized, it's ingrained, it's a part of my life, right? And you can hear those things in prayer. It's all reflective of relationship. And now in John 17, speaking on that, reflective of relationship, just a glimpse at Jesus and his relationship. This has got to be one of the most powerful prayers ever prayed for us. Jesus prayed this, and I can confidently say he prayed it with us in mind. This was a prayer for generations Yet to come, generations that would be in his church, that would be his co-heirs, that would be his brothers and sisters, he prays this prayer. We're not going to read all of it. We're just going to read, like I said, the first few verses. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. We see in this passage very clearly, and as you read on, you can really see it, just his genuineness and his vulnerability and the depth of affection that he has towards his followers when he begins to pray for their unity. Right? We see this towards the end. Uh, and uh, starting in verse 18 down, Jesus begins to pray for their unity as, what does he use as the example? I want, I want them to be united as you and I are united. I want them to be one as you and I are one. So what he wants for us, the thing that he wants most for us, is that we would have the relationship with one another and with him that he currently has with his father. The ministry of reconciliation. What is the ministry of reconciliation? Reconciling the world back to himself. That there could be relationship, there could be unity again, that he could walk amongst us in the garden as he did at the beginning of time. With Adam and Eve before the fall of man, that he could have that relationship with us again where he could just walk amongst us. So casually the living God, creator of the universe, just next to us walking. He wanted that back, the oneness, the unity, the relationship. And we see that read in this passage. We see in this passage the relationship. It's honest, it's close, it's connected. He knows the Father's heart and the Father knows the Son's. 
How do we measure, as a progression, how do we measure closeness of relationship in the world? If you were to give a guess, how do you think the world measures how close something is, people are to one another? What is the one thing that they kind of always turn to? Time. Yeah. How, I, knew this, I knew this very well. Um, I, have known, I have known people that have known each other for 40 years. And the world would say, those people are incredibly close. They've been together for 40 years. Not necessarily couples, they've been friends for 40 years. They know a lot about each other. They've lived a lot of life together. But the depth of that relationship is like that deep. So many of those relationships. I, I, so many of my father's relationships, especially for men, right? Because we're, we're, we, don't, we don't get vulnerable, right? This is, become, this is becoming less of a thing, but it, it was a thing growing up, and I saw it in my father. You asked him, how many close friends do you have? None. Well, you've known this guy for like 25 years. Yeah. Or you've worked with this guy. He's sat in the desk next to you for 15 years. You guys got to be close. Uh-uh, that deep. That deep. We know this too. We've, we, we know it exists in the world. I pray it doesn't exist in this house anywhere. But there are couples that have been married for years and years and years and years and years. That deep. That deep, right? We see this a lot in divorce why are people getting divorced? Because they became roommates. They weren't married anymore. That's the result of a that deep relationship. Right? You're that deep with your roommate. You're not super close to that roommate. So you've, you've just got a layer of depth that you go to and then it stops. So the length of time that you know somebody is not a genuine measure of how close you are to that person. Because I'm sure we all know We've also met those people that we've only known for a year or two or less, and it's like, this is my person. Like, that's it. I knew I was going to marry my wife six months in. I had only known her for six months. There are plenty of girls I'd known a lot longer than that. I had my dog longer than that. (laughs) And there are also people... I mean, Zach Stevens, Troy Holdman. These are two of my best friends in the world. And, I've only, and I didn't know Zach until I went to Africa. And we got stranded in the terminal together because we're the only ones that snuck through security without getting flagged. Yeah, we got in and out. They must have liked us. This is a beard, I guess. Everybody else is clean shaved. It's their own fault. But me and Zach thought we were going to travel the world together without the Africa team. We didn't think they were going to make it through security. And I'm telling you, on that trip, and Shorty can attest this, Zach and I were the whole time. Inseparable. It, just, just the way it was, our, our spirit was connected. And I just, I'd known him, but I didn't know him until I sat in that terminal across from him. And then I sat on that plane next to him. And then I never left his side. And still to this day, I I was talking to him this morning. One of the people I hold dearest in my hearts. Only known him for a couple years. 
he was not one of my groomsmen. He didn't stand up there with me. I don't have a kid named after him. I've known him with a short, for a short period of time. But the depth of relationship, it is vast. It is deep. So time has nothing to do with it. Does, is it a contributing factor? Sure. Because those relationships where there's depth pretty quick, and then you know them for 30 years, whew, right? All of you, I know, understand that. Where you knew you were connected immediately and the depth grew quickly and you've been together for 30 plus years and it's just like this, there is significant depth to this relationship. But we equate in the world, we equate, equate length of relationship and depth of relationship in the world. That those are cohesive, that they, they must go together and that is not true. And we apply that unfortunately to the church and people's individual relationship with God. Like so many, so many count me out as a head pastor because I'll turn 32 in September. Not, not very old. I feel old, but you guys all laugh at me when I say that. But I feel, I, I, was, I, was, very, I was very abusive to my body. All right, It aged qu- quicker because I was not nice to it. But I'm... Most churches don't have pastors in their 30s. They just don't. Especially in the devout Methodist, Baptist churches. Like we, we are really about that seniority. We are about it. You have got, you are got to be of a certain age before you can be taken seriously when it comes to the things of God. We face that. We think that there's an aging to the Spirit of God. That the longer, you, the longer you've been a Christian, the more of the Spirit you have. That's just not true. You have a more distinct, wiser Spirit because He's grown up with you. That's not it. It's the same Spirit that Jesus had. You received it in the very same moment. Jesus received that same exact Spirit. The fullness of it. If they've received the Spirit at all, oftentimes we find that that level of thinking is there's not really any association with the Spirit of God in those uh, lives, unfortunately. But one of the reasons I believe that children are not valued in the church as a whole, they're kind of, we want the kids to do their own thing, we just want it to be over here. Um, Because this is where the real depth happens. That's not found anywhere in Scripture. That's not true. That's, that, it is, it, we, we have minimized the significance of children. And so we have, one of the main reasons I think we don't see signs and wonders anymore is because we've put a cap on who can perform signs and wonders. And children are not one of them. But I long that in this house we would see a day where kids lay hands on people and they, they get up and they walk. And they prophesied. Children would come up and they would prophesy words that are too big for them to understand. And so you know they come from the Lord. Or that they would speak in tongues. Or someone would speak in tongues and a child would interpret. So profound. Um, And the Lord just began teaching me this on Sunday. um, And and tying this to this evening's lesson. But 
my son, Kai, there's a, a new couple that came to church on Sunday. And she, she just plain up asked me, is your son prophetic? Like, I don't know. I never even thought about it. Why have I never associated that with my children? Their father's called a prophet. Why wouldn't they be prophetic? Why, maybe they do have that anointing. I don't know. I just had never considered it. It's like, I don't know. Why? He said, he walked straight up to me and said, where's your husband? She's like, oh, he's coming. He said, Are your sons here? Yes, they're here. They're coming in with their dad. I had a dream that you guys came to church last night. And then just ran off. And she's like, okay, this is where we're supposed to be. This is great. We're supposed to be here today. But that's, that's, what? And I asked Kai again after this. And some of the stories, because I, I, I had this conversation with him afterwards. We had this conversation really quick with that, that young lady. But I asked him afterwards, it's like, did you have a dream about them? He said, yeah, I saw them and their boys playing up on the stage. I was like, you, like, like they were, they were playing on the stage. He said, yeah, 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 I saw them, I saw them playing on the stage. It's like in your dream or just, just now? No, I saw them last night when I was sleeping. I'm just like pulling this out of this four-year-old who I'm beginning to realize has a lot deeper connection with the Lord just because he's been introduced to him. And he's, he's a child, and so when his father and his mother say, this is who God is, he says, okay, that's who God is. And he goes with it. And now these things are beginning to happen with a four-year-old. It's like, but if I, ah, dismiss that. No way. He's, he's four. He can't receive the Spirit. What He would be in some minister's office someday. Because what I just did is I, I removed any opportunity for freedom and I set up an opportunity for a lie to be planted in that young, young child's life. Because I dismissed what the Lord could do through that child. We've so undervalued children because we have tied depth to God to length of relationship with God. And that's just not the truth. Because it doesn't matter if you know God for 6,000 years, if you never receive His Spirit, you will never know His heart. It's not possible. And I've seen people that have said yes to the Lord, received Jesus, and then received His Spirit and knew more about His heart in that very second than most people ever discovered in their lifetime of study. It's profound. Length and depth are not interchangeable. They... One does not equal the other. It's a contributing factor. I know the Spirit of God, and I'm hoping I get to walk with Him for 60 more years. And what a, what a relationship. That will, what depth that will have. Because in, in my 20s, I started walking with the Spirit. But now imagine that again for a child. Uh, when did you first start prophesying? When I was four. And you're 42 now. So what does that relationship with the Lord look like? Probably a lot of depth. Probably profound. So those things, uh, they're not interchangeable. Their uh, length of time does not equal depth. All of that to say. And that's how the world measures relationship. In Mark 10, uh, 13 through 16, we read this the other day. Uh, as we were talking about returning as a child, 13, it says, They are bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant 
and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And that's so to devalue children because they've not known the Lord as long as you have would say that what Jesus just said is not accurate. Because he said is the children will receive the kingdom of heaven. And what is he talking about there? We talked about this two weeks ago. He's talking about how a child receives versus how adults dismiss away. A child receives because someone who is trusted to be true has said it. So I say yes, and it is. And that's what it is. And that's just what I do. My, my boys if I use them as an example a lot, especially when talking about a father-son relationship because it's the one I know the best. And they, they just, they are obsessed with baseball. They are true-blooded American boys. That is all they want to watch, and that is all they want to play. We have to use tennis balls now because they're both hitting the balls back at daddy too fast. But daddy's tired of getting hit. Even when I, I try to catch it, but I, I can't get far enough away and pitch it to him. But now Liam is, I'm throwing 50 feet away. I mean, I'm, and I'm drilling him at him. And he's drilling him right back to me. This three-year-old, or four-year-old, I've got to remember that. He's just a little, he's not even in t-ball yet. He'll be in t-ball next year. And I'm, they're going to think I'm cheating if he's as good as he is right now. A little lefty, just underhand pitch. I mean, clearly trying to take off my head every time. Just smoking him past me. And I remember last night, we were doing that. We were just having fun. And they were, they were doing so good. And it's really fun for us as dads when they're doing so well. And you've had a little bit to do with it. But really, when they just start clicking on their own, like, it's so much fun for a father to just see, like, what I've been talking about is finally clicking with them just on their own. They're growing up with it. They're comfortable enough with it, and they're starting to click. And I just, I said, you guys are so good. Like, you guys are doing awesome. This is amazing. And Kai picks up the bat this morning because he just needs me to pitch him a few before I leave for work. He said, Daddy, I'm so good at batting. It's like, there it is. <laughs> like you're not going to convince that kid that he's not good at it because his father told him he was good. And boom, he said yes, and he's running with that. And that's just it. Liam makes a good throw. Liam, that was a good throw. I'm, yeah, I'm good at throwing, Dad. He'll make a good throw. It's because I'm good at throwing. And I'm like, there, I mean, we've got to keep it in check a little bit because sometimes they're little turds about it. Um, <laughs> Like, Daddy, you're not throwing very good. You're not very good at that. It's like, watch it. Um, but like a child, because their father said it, they say yes and they run with it. And that's what Jesus is talking about. You can't receive the kingdom any other way than to have a relationship with the one who's speaking and know the heart of the one that's speaking so that when he speaks, you know it's a yes in you and you're going to run with it forevermore, never looking back because you know who has spoken these things to you, just like a child does. Length of a relationship does not mean depth in any case, especially with God. So then, why are those with such length of relationship? They have such length of relationship. This is kind of the natural next question. 
We have so many that have grown up in church. They've not known a day where they weren't going to church on a Sunday. This is just what their life has been about for a long time. Part of that in lies the issue that we're talking about, why there's no depth of relationship. But so many that have grown up in church, hearing the Word of God, why is there no depth? Well, what we discussed at the beginning is that truth is for everyone. The truth that is for everyone is that God is the Creator. And the truth that is for those that are saved is that He's not only the Creator, He is our Heavenly Father. But so many of us, And this has been revelation, this has been profound for me. So many of us approach God still as creator and not father. We have access to him now. We know how to approach him, but we approach him as the creator and not our father. We approach him almost with a slave mentality, a boss and employee mentality. We approach him as creator, we approach him as timidly I'm walking into this room to have a conversation with you instead of as a child in the morning my children have never quietly come into my bedroom to wake me up and why do we do that with God we approach him as creator we don't approach him as heavenly father especially in our prayer life we approach him as creator not not father and I've asked if and this is just an example but if I were to ask any of you to pray out loud. And this could be said to so many. I want you to pray out loud, and, and some would immediately be like, well, not, as, not really in this group, but if I were to ask you to pray out loud like on a Sunday, open us a prayer, whatever. Um, yeah, you always do it, though, anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, if Sunday morning I asked you to get up on that mic and, and pray over the service in front of everybody, there, there, for, for a lot of people that don't get up on that stage, that w- there would be nervousness, right? Especially because I'm praying out loud, and I don't want to say something stupid. I don't want to say something that doesn't make sense. I especially don't want to say something that's wrong. I think we're going to say something that's scripturally inaccurate, and we're going to, they're going to crucify me right there on the stage before I even get down. I had that fear a lot, speaking from experience. I had that fear all the time. Like, I'm going to pray something theologically inaccurate and people are going to come against me. But that was a misunderstanding of what prayer is. It's a conversation with the Lord. Anyways, all that to say, if I asked you to pray out loud, but then I asked you to call him daddy as you prayed out loud and led us all in prayer. 99% of people would be like, "Uh, that's weird. I'm a little uncomfortable with that. But then I began to think as a parent, because the day is is already starting to flirt with me, um, where my children don't call me daddy anymore. And I'm just like, I will be wrecked on that day. Like I think about it all the time when I won't be able to hold my boys. Or like when it's weird for them to come sit on my lap. Because they're 18. It's awkward. And they're big. Yeah, I sit on their lap. And they carry me to bed. Because they're bigger and strong now and I'm weak and old. But I know that day is coming. Liam's heard his classmates call their dad's dad. And he's tried it. And I've threatened his life. 
Like, no, I'm daddy. I'm not dad. We're not there yet. Thankfully, I got a little girl, so I've got daddy in, in the book for a long time. But I just, the Lord just presented this question, how many of us would give anything to just have our kids back at that age where they just called us mommy or daddy? When they were just, just little running around, little toots running around, little three-year-olds, four-year-olds. You know, I, I watched a video of Liam laughing as a, uh, it's like an eight-month-old. It's like, golly, I'd give anything to have this going-to-be-seven-year-old back as that little eight-month-old. I know. Yeah, get your mind around that. I'm having a hard time with it. But we'd give anything, right, just for a little moment like that of having them back when they're little. Right, having them when they're that age. All of us would do that, but they grow up. And they naturally, they put off childish things. Right? They, don't, they grow up and they mature and they call us mom, they call us dad. Um, society says calling your parents that, is, especially as a boy, is childish. If you call your dad daddy, like that's weird in our society. I don't know why, it just is. Um, or they become too grown up for that, right? That's normally on them. They're like, oh, I'm too, I'm too mature. I'm too grown up to be calling you that or doing those things with you anymore. Um, the, normally it's their words, not ours. So then when, just using that as an example, when did we become too grown up for our heavenly father? Because I see this connection in this. As children grow up and they put off childish things, so much of what is wrong with relationship with God is because we've taken the things that happen in the world and we've applied them to who the Lord is or what our relationship with Him is to look like. We've reasoned up our experiences with man to who God is and the relationship is how that's to be defined instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal to us who He is and what this relationship is to look like. Too many of us have used our experiences on earth to define our relationship with God instead of allowing the Lord to define our experiences, right? But when did we become too grown up for our Heavenly Father? As we grow up, He becomes less my father, less my daddy, and more of an acquaintance, and a business associate that I have a contract with, that I have a, a heavenly contract with. I have, I have a business deal that I say yes to you, and you get me into heaven one day, and that's our transaction, and that's the end of it. And as we get busier and we grow up, he becomes and he morphs into just creator and less father. And we see this really in our society. We see this, um, I saw this in a lot of my friends. They just didn't understand the relationship I had with my dad. My dad and my brother were my best men. I mean, my dad stood right next to me on the day I got married. I couldn't imagine anybody else up there. And a lot of my friends did not understand that because they're just not close with their fathers. It's like, but you were at one point. Why did that change? Because you got older. If anything, it just gets more fun, because I can have more experiences with my father that he can have alongside me, and he's not going to hurt me or, you know, by running over me or pushing me down a hill too fast or uh, trying to teach me how to ride a bike and, I don't know, stuff like that. You know, I can go out, I can drive, I can go pick up my dad and I can take him to lunch or we can go hunting together. We can do these things as adults together and it's a ton of fun. 
But we grow up in society and we, we leave these connections and these relationships behind. And unfortunately for us as men who are, and this is what I can speak to the most, but we're supposed to see God in our earthly fathers. That, that person is to be the first example of who God and Jesus is. Our mother and father, they present this to us, but our heavenly father, we articulate that in the beginning at least through our relationship with our earthly father. But we become too grown up for our earthly father, so we become too grown up for our heavenly one. And he stops becoming my father. And he, again, becomes this acquaintance. This acquaintance. This business associate. We put off our intimate and vulnerable relationship with God when we put off childish things in our society. But he is not a childish thing. He is everything. And he desires to mold us into adults. He doesn't desire for us to be immature children running around. He desires to mold us into adults. He desires to grow up with us but still is our father, still is our dad. Mark 10, again, it says that children, for for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Children, his children, and those that live as his children. Our identity is rooted in the fact that we are his children. And we're never too grown up for him. We'll never get to be the same age as he is. He will always be daddy and we will always be a little child in his eyes. There comes a day when a parent on earth has to stop rescuing their child, right? It's a natural thing. There comes a day. Has that day ever come for you and your heavenly father where he's had to stop rescuing you? No, you are still this little child that he holds in his hand. And he is still this daddy that can do anything. And nothing is impossible for But the reality is, that's true, and you're not going to grow up and realize, oh no, he's just a person. He, nothing is impossible for him. He holds the universe in his hand, but yet he has an intimate relationship, has a desire to have an intimate relationship with you. How? That's impossible. And yet he does it. That's who he is. So you want a powerful prayer life. You want a full prayer life. Approach God, Creator, as your Heavenly Father. Seek deep, honest, and open relationship with your dad. This has been so lacking in church. Mostly because we get so legalistic, we get so structured, we get into such a routine that we miss out on the fact that we are all coming together to celebrate and engage in relationship with our dad. And as brothers and sisters, we use that term all the time, but what does that mean to be brothers and sisters? You share a parent. We miss that deepness, that depth, that vulnerability, that intimacy that is there when we recognize that he is our father. He is daddy. And I am this little child. And I get to grow up and I get to be a part of things with him that I, that I couldn't understand when I was younger. I had to grow up. I needed some age. I needed some wisdom and life experiences because there are things that I understand now that I just couldn't have as a four-year-old. I just couldn't grasp those things. I couldn't articulate the things that I see. All right, that's the biggest struggle with kids is getting them to articulate the magnitude of the things they see, right? Because they see a world in a totally different way, but we we miss so much of it because they can't articulate it in the way that we can. Right? They don't have the words. 
And that's part of it, too, in our relationship with God. They're still young children. They're still growing up. They're still learning things. And when they're 32, they're going to be able to articulate things very differently. But that does not mean that he is not my father and I am not his child. And when we begin to understand that relationship again, and not just understand it because we look at it on paper, but engage in deep, personal relationship with God, not as creator, but as father, your prayer life begins to shift. You can go throughout history. You can listen to recordings of people praying. And you know the difference of a person praying that had a deep relationship with a father and a person that has a relationship with a creator. You can hear it. We could go online right now and listen to pastor after pastor and one has a relationship with a creator God and one has a relationship with Abba Father. And we need to be a church that has a relationship with Abba Father and can pray and can introduce people to that relationship because again, God is making his appeal through us. And I don't want to, I don't want the appeal to be that God is our creator. That has been so much of what we focused on in the church too. For so long, we argue evolution and different things like that that just, it's like, who cares? I don't care how old the earth is. That dude says he's got a rock that's 10 million years old. Cool. I wasn't here 10 million years ago, and I wasn't here 6,000 years ago. I don't know how old old the earth is, and I really don't care because it has no prevalence to what is happening right now. Or they want to sit there and argue evolution or creation. I, I believe God created the earth. I don't, I don't know how he did it. I can't make sense of that. But I know we evolve all the time. Right? I lived in Houston where it was wet. Now I don't. I've evolved. I'm a little sadder. There's not much water. But we evolve all the time as people. So I don't know, and I don't care. I had a conversation with uh, uh, a a couple, same-sex married couple, just talking to them. And they asked what I did. And I told them, and they were just like, why are you talking to us? Like you could just see the bewilderment on their faces. It's like, why does, I don't care. That's not, that's not between you and me. What is our job? God making his appeal through us. We are to introduce them to the ministry of reconciliation. Does it say, and then you are to save them from their sin. You are to get them to stop participating in sin. Well, how is that working out for you? So how good are you going to be at helping anybody else start living that perfect life? Because I had not met a perfect person yet. So that means there's still a sin element in our, in our story. So how good are we at, at, at getting others to stop sinning? It's just not our job. It's not our equipping. We're to introduce them to a heavenly Father who sent a son to die on the cross for them as they are now. And he loves them. And he'll do the changing. That's not on us to do. We're just making the introductions.
God making his appeal through us, and then that's the end of it. He's making an appeal. And what appeal is he making? Is it one of a creator, distant and far off? You can't even say that creator without feeling the distance in it. Or is it one of a heavenly father who loves his children and seeks to work all things for the good of those that love him? And when he speaks, we receive it and say yes because we know he's good. And he did not lead us here to die. Is that the appeal that they're introduced to? It all comes down, everything comes down to your relationship with God. Your prayer life with God. What is prayer? Prayer is dialogue. Prayer is communication. It is how we participate in this relationship. This conversation, how could it say pray without ceasing if it's not a relationship that you can carry with you everywhere? It would be impossible to just sit in a room and pray without ceasing. But you're to live this life in communion with God, your Father. You take His presence everywhere you go and that's how you pray without ceasing because you never stop the conversation. You have a conversation with Him. Constantly. It was one of the... Uh, fascinating things about watching Graham Cook. That dude never got on stage with notes. He never got on stage with a, with a, a, a bunch of PowerPoints and slides set up, ready to go, because he knew exactly what he was going to talk about. He knew what he was going to talk about, but he also allowed this conversation that he was having with the Lord based on what the Lord was seeing that he cannot see to define what he, where he was going in this moment. It was always so profound. I only saw him for two nights. Some of you were there, and I was just blown away by how this guy could preach. But it was, he wasn't preaching. He was having a conversation with us, but it was like he was relaying a conversation he was having with the Lord to us. Right? Because it was not like a preacher. He was not standing up there preaching. There was not a single time where I would say, that guy's a pastor. Like in the typical sense where he stands behind a pulpit and he preaches. But I, I never doubted for a second that he had a deep relationship with the Father. Because I could tell they were having a conversation about something and he was speaking what he was given to speak in those moments. Just relaying a message from God right there it was, as it was happening. Depth of relationship. Praying without ceasing. Constant communication. Constant interaction. And in those places, as Jesus highlights of Pursuing a relationship, a one-on-one individual relationship that is not dependent on this building or the lights or the worship uh, or the message, but a relationship that is yours and yours alone with God the Father. And then being genuine in that relationship, being honest, recognizing that you don't have to be right. There are several times, and it still happens to this day, where I'll be talking to the Lord and I'll say something that's not right. Not accurate. And it's gotten to the point now with this constant communication that we have that he just, he just corrects me in the moment. Like if you just said anything wrong to anybody. Oh, the sky's purple. No, no, the sky's blue. Oh, yeah, you're right. And you just move on in conversation. That's what it becomes. It doesn't, he does not care if you come with this perfect agenda of things that need to be talked about and it's perfect and holy and anointed. He just wants you to start talking to him. He doesn't want you to just start asking for stuff. He just wants you to have a conversation with him. He's not a vending machine again, 
but he wants you to have a conversation with him. And then he wants you to ask for those things. As you start having a conversation and you have these desires in your heart, he wants you to ask for those things. Because he's sitting there as you're speaking. He's just watering these desires that he's placed there. But that's the design of prayer. So much of it, the, the foundational understanding must be that it is a genuine relationship with God. If you want a powerful prayer life, if you want to be comfortable, and that's really what we're talking about, being comfortable, audibly praying or just praying with the Lord on your own without ceasing, if you want to be comfortable with that, you must have a deep, genuine relationship with God. And there's no one else that can bring that for you but you. It's your own pursuit. And being genuine in every moment of that pursuit. Kendall taught me this. is one of the most profound things he ever taught me. A heart that says no is really hard to teach. But a heart that says yes and gets it wrong, the Lord will teach that heart all day long. So it doesn't matter if you get it wrong or get it right all the time. He doesn't care. If your heart is yes, he can mold that. Right? He can do it. Liam, wanted to, Liam has fallen in love with vacuuming, which is like, I mean, score for us. This is great. And he's vacuuming. But we had to have a conversation because he, and just, I don't know. I don't know where he gets it from. I mean, his mom, probably. Uh, but he's vacuuming the living room. He pulls out the coffee table so that he can vacuum the rug all the way. It's just like, who are you? Like, are you 40? You've done this before? <laughs> but he didn't put the coffee table back. He wanted to serve, right? But he just didn't finish the job. He didn't see that, though. It was just a little bit of correction because his heart was in the right place, and it was not hard. Hey, you need to put that table back. Why? Well, because you pulled it out the vacuum. You didn't finish the job. Put it back when you're done. Oh, yeah, duh. Pulls it back. We're done. But the heart, that was not the issue. It was just needing a little bit of correction. But the desire was there to serve. And it's the same for if the desire of your heart is to say yes to what God has and you get it wrong sometimes, it's okay. We've got to remove this grading scale from our prayer life that I I can't get anything wrong in my conversation with him or I'll be punished. It's not God. He just wants you to be genuine. Jesus literally says the opposite of that. Just be genuine with me. Be genuine in conversation to the Father. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.